0: Welcome back, and what a week. We have a bag of the finest quack this side of the Mississippi River. Uh, Oregon got a huge win over Arizona. Basketball got a huge win, uh, and it's Civil War Week. I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo Bumaye, as every week.
1: Man, if we normally take the week's news and turn it into an hour of quack, this is going to be like a six hour mega cast. So I hope you're ready, eat a whole bunch of turkey, sit down, pass out, and you can pass out to the sweet, sultry sounds of our voice.
0: You know, that is exactly what people tell me my voice sounds like. Sweet and sultry.
1: Cool, like the waves of Mauna Loa.
0: <laughs> Um, So... It seems like the offense works a lot better with Justin Herbert at quarterback.
1: That is a decent assessment.
0: It's a smoking hot take.
1: It appears that in the sport of college football, having your number one quarterback is better than having your effectively number five quarterback. <laughs> uh, that's it's useful. Things went well. I'm a so, fan. We had – I would say that the Arizona game, for ending up in the score where we ended up winning by 20, um, it, was, it was fun. It was a little bit chippy. In a, a good way. Yeah, it was fun chippy. Um, and I feel like a lot happened. I mean we had some turnovers uh, that we benefited from. Uh, we had the return of Justin Herbert, obviously, which was story one A. Uh, Royce Freeman scored like infinity touchdowns, and
0: that's we, true. If you look at the stats here, it's just a sideways eight. We
1: we just got our we got our swagger back a little bit. We we apparently have a turnover chain now, um, so that's that's interesting. It was fun all around. Everybody had a great time.
0: Okay. So, let's address the turnover change first. I know you sent me a thread of Lamar Winston Jr. on Twitter.
1: Yeah, let me... I want to see if I can actually find that.
0: Yeah, okay. So, basically, if you, if you, you somehow missed it, uh, Ugo, uh, Ugo Chukwu Amadi, after his interception, was seen on the sideline with a chain and a big organ O on it. And, of course, the commentator's are like, Miami, we can roll with you. But uh, that's that's not really what the case was.
1: Yeah, so I just found the thread. Okay. Uh, so as if you've been paying attention to college football at all, uh, you would know that the University of Miami has a turnover chain, which is very nice. It's got a whole bunch of gold Cuban links on it. Uh Real, real nice and sparkly. Um,
0: it's very Miami.
1: It's, it's very Miami. So after Ugo picked off um, Khalil Tate, I think it was in the third quarter off the top of my head maybe. Second.
0: It was at the end of the second.
1: Okay. Uh, it sounds about right. So very briefly on the broadcast, there was Ugo on the sideline getting thrown, on, uh, uh, having his teammates throw the chain on him. And uh, so the broadcasters, of course, make a big deal out of it. Oregon gets clowned on uh, on Twitter because this chain is effectively, literally a chain with just some diamond plate steel cut into an organo. It does not look very nice. Um, but the history of it is that we've had this chain in the student section since 2011 at least as far as i this is just off the top of my head um and it's kind of
0: right at least 2011
1: and that was when we still had the diamond plate on our shoulders and knee pads which i am so thankful that we got rid of
0: so really miami is copying us
1: yes so that's the takeaway this thread of Lamar Winston Jr. and a couple other players, you know, kind of piped up about it, too. Um, basically, he made the good point, which was if we, we, as an athletic department, wanted to do a turnover chain, uh, the program has enough resources, thank you Uncle Phil, uh, that we could do much better than literal pieces of metal chain and a diamond plate cut into a no. No, that's
0: uh, just how blue-collar the team is.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. We're, we're going back to our roots. Um, his second point is, why would Oregon hop on somebody else's uh, you know, turnover train if it's already been done by somebody else when historically we're the team that gets copied? Um, he basically said that they just grabbed it from the student section and they threw it on Nuka as a joke, which... I believe it's having fun. I mean, at that point in the game, the game had kind of turned, and we were uh, we we certainly had some momentum. So, you know, it that's one, been one of the things actually that I've noticed about this team, which we'll need to adjust in the future. Is I feel like they play so much more loose and, for lack of a better term, with so much more swagger at home than they do on the road thus far this year.
0: I agree. And it makes sense to those, like, what's the more likely scenario that the that the guys, like, half-assed their way to a, like, a straight copy, or that they just did it as a joke?
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody's having fun. It's it's easy to have fun when you're winning. Except the
0: Wildcats. Uh, Wildcats, zero fun.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. There was a whole lot of not fun. Um, Rich Rod was very angry. Oh, oh. A whole penalties. Um, what did you think? Let me ask about this. So, so it's easy to say that, man, it's really a lot easier to play when you have a, a QB number one. Uh, That's what very did true. you?
0: That's entirely uh, uh, true.
1: The the play calling in this game, and um, a how we were able to open it up, um, but then also how we were able to keep Arizona's defense off balance.
0: Yeah, I mean, just by having Herbert back made everything easier because Arizona couldn't just load up the box like every other team was doing. The defense couldn't start off taking three steps forward and taking one step back. Um, Herbert went deep pretty early, had a few big completions, so that loosened everything up. Um, I mean, Oregon, we didn't really throw any many more passes than we normally do or when Burmeister was quarterback, we only threw 21. We still ran the ball 50 times. Um, So it's not like we saw a huge difference in total play calling. It's just having a passing attack just makes everything a lot easier because the D can't load up on one option. So uh, I think think the routes, obviously the routes were a lot better because we could throw deep. Um, it was a lot easier to hit some intermediate routes. You could throw more often, so you could set up plays. So you could run one play, like, a couple times, then run another one that had a similar look but was different enough to catch the defense off guard. Um, but when you're able to get two more guys out of the box because they have to defend the secondary, or they have to defend the deep ball, then you're running against two fewer people. Um, We're able to use tempo a lot more, too, which just comes down to, like, experience um, and reps. So, I mean, it just makes everything a whole lot easier,
1: obviously. Yeah, you know, that was was one of my two biggest takeaways of the game, at least offensively. Um, Like you mentioned, the ratio of run to pass was really actually not dissimilar from what we were seeing when uh, we had Braxton Birdmeister starting. Um, Just our offense this year, and it seems, considering Taggart's history offensively, is going to certainly be very run-heavy. Yeah. Um, But the two biggest takeaways that I saw offensively was, number one, the tempo. Um, We were able to get on the line much, much faster um, than... In our previous games with Burmeister, uh, we were able to get lined up and just keep the defense on their heels. Um, that was number one. Number two, the decisiveness that our our offense was able to see uh, and, and execute with with Herbert at the helm, I thought helped quite a bit. Um, and that's not that's not so much a knock on Burmeister because he could learn that over time. You can't ever expect somebody making their first start to just be super decisive and know exactly where the ball is supposed to go on every single play. Um, But an example of this was really early in the game. I think it was our second series um, when Herbert dropped back to the throw, the pocket collapsed, and so he stepped up, ran for a 40-yard touchdown. Um, That's one of those plays where – Burmeister was taking a much higher percentage of sacks than Herbert um so on the season Herbert has taken 3.9 sack rate and Burmeister was 14.6 which is
0: not great
1: Bob out of this world so the ability of Herbert to have the pocket presence and the decisiveness where if he sees something breaking down to just pull the trigger and go um that was a huge help to our offense, and just the ability of him to make one quick read, get the ball out to his playmakers was a lot more helpful as well. We didn't see a whole lot of um, option reads, which I, you know, it's I, not I didn't. Surprising. Yeah, I didn't expect to see that. You don't want to really want to put Herbert in their position to run too much uh, with him still recovering from a collarbone injury, but. He made a lot of quick reads, one-read type uh, plays that were very helpful to the offense. And I think the offensive coaching staff did a good job putting him in a position to get the ball out quickly and not put himself in in a situation where he could get injured further.
0: Yeah, and Oregon, Tiger never really called that many read options to begin with. Because I know early on in the season... If they were read options, then Herbert was reading it incorrectly nearly every time because the end just kept crashing down, anyways. Um, so I, re- I, think the cow game might have been an exception. Um, the I'm trying to remember what was the team after Wyoming. Uh, go after uh, Wyoming. Because uh. really, only because we didn't we didn't run like any real read option the first game. We didn't run any real real option read option uh against Nebraska or Wyoming.
1: Arizona State was the game immediately after Wyoming. That's right,
0: yeah. So I mean we we saw some there. Uh we saw some against Cal. So I don't think it's much of a it's a scenario where the read option was a huge part of our offense. Um, and so it was like this huge schematic change. But I mean, there were definitely not any real situations where Herbert was running, in any any designed way.
1: Yeah, and i i I would say the real other big story, other than Herbert starting and the offense getting back on track, is how well our defense was able to contain Khalil Tate. Um, it may have been helped by. The fact that relatively early in the game, you could see him kind of hobbling. Um, I think he had a left knee tweak. Um, something something is in his legs. Um, but I was very impressed by our defense's ability to step up, fill gaps, and then also on the back end of things, leave corners on an island and just let the front seven and lets one of the safeties crashing down do their job to stop the run um, while still maintaining our integrity on the back end and not giving up some huge plays, uh, especially like on play actions where Khalil Tate is such a run threat that he could easily sink a, a safety up up towards the line and, and beat somebody deep. I mean, that's kind of been their bread and butter when when the Arizona's offense was flowing.
0: I think Levitt earned, has earned every penny of his huge salary, yearly salary that he's getting. I mean, huge for Oregon standards and maybe the Pac-12. I know it's not ridiculous for some SEC football teams. Um, but I think the game plan was pretty simple, um, and it came down to just guys executing. One of the things that was interesting is you would put – Basically, two defensive tackles on the line. We didn't see as much Jalen Jelks as I thought we would. There was a lot of there was a lot of lineups of like uh, Falu, who has been playing defensive tackle all year, um, Fat Mac, and Henry Mondo, um, and then Scott Pagano mixed in uh, at defensive tackle also. But it was really just a lot of guys in the middle taking up space and then basically blitzing the outside linebackers, whether that was Winston, um, Fotu, uh Moy and Hollins. Basically just playing five on five on the line of scrimmage, um and just leaving six guys in pass protection. So basically basically saying uh cool, Tate's been the been the spark for their entire offense. Um, he's like the he's the factor that's probably been eighty percent of their offensive output. So if if they can limit him, uh, then if if he's going to win it, throwing fifty completions or one of their running backs is going to do it, carrying the ball thirty times, then that's what it was going to be. Um, but they weren't basically going to let uh, Khalil do the winning. So, and I mean that worked out. I mean, Khalil only took only a 32 yards rushing. I think his longest run was nine yards. Uh, he averaged 4.5 yards per pass attempt. There was only about nine yards per completion, um, and no big ones. So, I mean, none of that works out if if the defensive backs don't do their jobs. Um, uh, Lenore made some great plays downfield. Ugo uh, Ugochukwu made some great plays. Aaron Springs made some great plays. Um, basically, everyone did their job. Uh, Arizona had one short field. There were a couple of drives that were extended due to penalties. But, I mean, we're able to handle one of the highest scoring. What S&P Plus had as, as a top three offense. Well, oh, excuse me. It's pretty late when we're recording this. Um Uh, When you have one of the hottest offenses according to S&P Plus and be able to hold them to 330 total yards, 3.8 yards on the ground, um, that's a huge plus. Huge.
1: Yeah, I mean, all around, um, I'm trying to think of other games where we looked more complete. Um, Now, granted, again, Who knows if Khalil Tate was 100% healthy? At this point in the season, everybody's banged up to a certain extent. Um, It's hard for me to think of other games where we looked more complete. Um, Utah was certainly a bright spot, but we didn't have the passing game that we had this last week against Arizona. Yeah. I would say that the first half against Wyoming and the first half against Nebraska uh, were certainly up there in terms of our defense rolling and getting turnovers and being explosive, mixed with our offense um, scoring tons of points. But both of those games were not really complete games. Yeah, uh, I, in my opinion, I think that this is probably just about the. Uh, The best game that we've played all year uh, when you combine offense, defense, special teams um, and the S&P plus um, rating system bears that out. So the offensive percentile performance uh, was 95 percent. Defense was only 64 percent, but we've only had two other games on the on the year where we were higher than that uh, against Wyoming and against Cal. So uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say that one guy coming back makes all that difference. Um, but it, it was just it was just a really, really good game all around. Um, hopefully, we can continue the streak of playing well at home and carry that into this upcoming Saturday's game in the Civil War, which if you're looking just at, S&P Plus rankings and records uh, it could get ugly
0: it could I don't think it will um, sorry that was a quick quick downer um, <laughs> uh, I don't think it will just because this is really
1: you going with the uh, it's a rivalry game throw out the records I really don't want to
0: um, and I'm really trying to come off as. I really don't want to come off as being like dismissive or like doing the whole little brother thing because I don't think that's the case. Oregon State's my second favorite team in the conference. Um, but when we look at the relation <laughs> of the two programs, beating Oregon is kind of like a season maker. Um, and. I don't know a single Civil War recently, except maybe 2012, where there was a huge difference in score. The Oregon State's always been able to keep it relatively close. I mean, last year, unfortunately, they won. The year before, though, they almost came back against Vernon Adams. Um the year before that, uh, we needed a really late push at the end of the game. Um, the did a Huff throw uh, so I mean 2012 was the only year that we really blew them out and that was probably the best team in Oregon history
1: yeah so, so right now the point spread depending on which service you look at is anywhere from uh, Oregon as a 24 and a half point favorite to a 25 and a half point favorite
0: I saw it opened at 21 and a half.
1: It's, it's hard for me to say that we would do the over.
0: I really don't think so. I really don't think so. And,
1: and cover. Um, but it's also hard for me to overstate just how bad Oregon State has been. Um, they, After they fired their coach, or, well, I guess they didn't fire their coach. She just kind of walked away. I think that's the
0: only time I will ever say that two people mutually parted ways.
1: Yeah, that that was very odd. So after that occurred, they had their two games where they really gave it a run, which was a three-point loss to Colorado at home and a one-point loss to Stanford at home.
0: Stanford played Uh, so bad that game.
1: and, and, And that was really kind of their... You know, win one win, win, win for the Gipper moment. But since then, they have lost at Cal, at Arizona, and at home to Arizona State. Uh, combined scores in those, they lost by 14 to Cal. They lost by 21 to Arizona and by 16 to Arizona State. I don't know if we can get over 24 and a half to cover the spread, but I'd say it's a pretty safe bet uh, that that we that we get a little bit of revenge for last year.
0: Yeah, because 24 and a half, you're looking at a score of like 14 to 42. Or like 17 to 45. You, that It's just... When you look at it in terms of like actual point difference, is it really going to be forty-eight to fourteen, somewhere like that, 42-14? I don't think so.
1: I would be surprised. At the same time, um, a positive sign for me coming up last week was again our DBs getting their hands on the balls um, that were thrown up as kind of like jump balls. Um, Arian Springs, I don't know if he still leads the country, but he's certainly among the leaders in the conference in pass breakups. Uh, as we already mentioned, Ugachuku got the interception last week. Thomas Graham has gotten his hands on the ball a little bit. Uh, and Oregon State turns the ball over quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are, on their turnover differential, they're negative 11 so far this season Uh, they throw the ball away quite a bit Um, they've kind of switched between two quarterbacks uh, and they who have 10 interceptions between them and fumbles wise it looks like they've lost another well two four eight ten another eleven I mean so they, they are not a team that values the ball very much and I could certainly see this kind of being a breakout game for our secondary who has been breaking up so many passes. If they can turn some of those into interceptions, maybe it gets out of hand a little bit.
0: Yeah, it would. for it to get out of hand, we would need to see a fair amount of turnovers. Because um, Oregon State is definitely going to be slowing it down, basically shorten the game so that they can keep it within like as few possessions as possible. Um uh yeah great comment by me um the, <laughs> the 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 lack of turnovers was really one of the the tough parts too of the last 6 or so weeks um pass breakups are preferred to giving up completions but ha- getting turnovers is really what turns um like a good win like a 3 touchdown win to where you see like 5 and 6 touchdowns apart. Um just because you can flip the field so fast and almost guarantee yourself points. Um uh, also want to give a shout out to Ty Griffin, the red shirt senior who transferred in. He's switched positions a ton. I think he came in as like a quarterback, played some receiver, finishing at like defensive back the last couple of years. I was really glad to see him get a, get an interception in the second-to-last game of yeah, his that- career. So, I mean, that's a guy who's basically been on the scout team forever. Just one of those guys grinding it behind the scenes. That helps out so much just because there's quality depth to run in practice. So I was really happy to see him get an interception. And I hope Taylor Alley gets to play on um, Saturday also. Because he, he's another guy. He's played four positions, I think, at some point. A lot of them on scout team. Um, and those are just the guys I really want to be able to play a hefty amount this last game.
1: Building off of that, that was one of the really positive things um, that I saw coming out of last week. Was there were many opportunities during this season for the team to kind of turn on itself. Um And it's nice to see them kind of get out of that tunnel. Um, After Immediately after the game, there was actually a a lot of press given to Dimitri Birch, who played scout team quarterback and was the scout for Khalil Tate. Um, It's it's nice to see those young guys, or even in Ali's case, not so young guys who are the practice players. It's nice to see that and get that recognition because that is a part of a team that often does not get praise, um, but they do play a really important role for the team and making sure that they're ready to, for all of the looks that they're going to see on a weekly basis. Um, I think yeah. I don't know, it's, uh, I'm just excited about the the end of this season, considering how the ups and downs that we've seen due to injury, um, due to learning new systems, I feel like if you told me at the end of this or at the beginning of the season that we had a chance to win eight games and go bowling, or sorry, well, eight games with a bowl win, I would... Certainly, consider that a successful season. Yeah, and I mean, looks, my
0: my definition for success was getting six games, getting six wins, and making a bowl game appearance.
1: And it looks like right now, in terms of bowl projections, uh, we're either looking, according at least to SB Nation, to ESPN, uh, to a couple different outfit, outlets, the two most likely are the Las Vegas Bowl which would be against uh, it would be a PAC 12 uh, representative against the winner of the mountain West because the mountain West is uh, actually surprisingly a little bit down this year. They were kind of, some people were talking them up as maybe getting the new year six uh, bowl bid at the start of the year for a group of five schools. Um, But it would be probably at this point against Boise state or Fresno state, whichever the mountain West champion is, uh, or in the Cactus Bowl which is in Tempe. It's
0: in Phoenix. It's run by the same people that do the Fiesta Bowl. It's just a week so earlier.
1: So at that point, um, you're probably looking you're looking at a Big 12 representative which would either be Kansas State where we could just pull DeAnthony Thomas out of the the Chiefs and have him return to punt or return a kickoff again. Yeah. Why not? Uh, or against West Virginia which could be a lot of fun as long as their quarterback, Will Greer, is back healthy. Uh, he's been dealing with, I think, like a fractured finger.
0: Oh, it's broken.
1: Oh, yeah. I think, he, not...
0: had, I think he had surgery on it because I saw a photo of it, and that finger's broken. <laughs> <laughs> that finger is broken.
1: So, so, I mean, West Virginia could be fun, um, but regardless, I think the real value of a bowl game is we get the extra practices, the young guys get reps, um, and to me, this isn't four years ago. This this season was not like we were planning on Rose Bowl or bust or national championship or bust. Um, but we've seen a lot of growth through this team, both offensively and defensively. Uh, we've seen a team that has gelled and refused to turn on itself or give up, um, even in the midst of, what, a three- or four-game losing streak due to injury. Um, it was like
0: five. No, no, it was five games without Herbert, but there were four losses. Yeah. Utah, so, the Utah game broke it up.
1: You know, it was, um, to me, as long as Willie Taggart stays, please, football gods, that Willie Taggart stay. This season has been an unqualified success.
0: Yeah, and... Sorry, we're going back a while, but I just want to bring this point up too. It's like that um, – actually, this could be a good segue. The the biggest part about making it to a bowl game isn't necessarily merely playing in a bowl game. It's that you get extra practices leading up to it. So that's basically an extra 30 hours of work that you can get in. And if you think about it, that's basically having a whole nother set of spring practices. There's so much that you can do in that time to get to get ready um, for the for the next year, especially with a lot of those younger guys, like a lot of the freshman scout team guys that didn't get to play a ton. Um, and one of the things too is that it's huge for recruiting; it's just another chance for exposure. Um, and one of the reasons why recruiting is actually so important, going back to like the Dimitri Birch point that you made, um, is that the better guys you have up and down the roster not only gives you that depth for if like your starting quarterback goes out or you miss your starting right tackle it actually it also determines how how much quality competition you're getting during the week because if you're practicing against a bunch of scrubs um and then you go play against a really good opponent there's going to be a speed difference but if you're also practicing against 4 star players um, then you're playing a much higher level of competition like it's 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 like with some of those top teams like Ohio State Alabama uh, Michigan Miami to an extent and Clemson 10 out of the 12 games that they play game weeks that they have they're playing the best the better team in practice during the week a lot of those practices are going to be like more valuable learning experiences than actual, actually playing in the game, because the competition is going to be so much. It's going to be so far apart. And
1: that's like, what's exciting about the future is not only the guys that we have currently, um, and we have seen our young guys get a lot of playing time over the course of this year. Um, everyone from Jordan Scott to Thomas Graham to more recently Lenore to Nick Pickett um, to Darian Felix. Um, I mean, there's there's a ton of young guys that have gotten playing time over the course of this season. But when you look ahead in terms of recruiting, right now, twenty four seven Sports has the 2018 class ranked as the sixth in the country only behind Ohio State, Texas, Penn State, Miami, and Georgia, and the number one in the Pac-12 with 24 commits right now, 13 four-stars, 11 three-stars. And basically, in my opinion, we we should just throw out all those commitments unless they're five-stars. We don't want them. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, it's – it's the same thing that we're seeing in basketball and we can move on to basketball in a little bit, but um, just like you were saying, the more depth that we get in, the more talent that we get in, it's, it turns into, in a weird Darwinian way, it's just going to be survival of the fittest and whoever can play will play. And at that point, the coaching staff has all the motivation it needs. It doesn't really need to make, you know, big speeches before a practice, because if you know, if you don't perform in practice, you're not going to see the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get into specific names or anything because these guys haven't even signed yet, but the overall distribution of these players, there's right now a projected quarterback to come in, um, who looks more like Herbert than, um, like, Dennis Dixon or, or anybody. Um, a lot of receivers, though. I know I talked about this last week, but I think we could see a lot of freshman receivers playing next year. Um, there's a lot of freshman defensive backs, freshman receivers. Um, we got three tight ends now projected. Um, and then a lot. Man, some of these offensive linemen. Almost all of them weigh over 320 pounds already. I'm not sure how healthy that is as a 17 year old to be weighing over 320 pounds, but here we are. Um, I,
1: it, it's science. Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah. And so I'm, and it's just a talented Ross. It's just a talented commitment list up and down. Um, and what's the interesting wrinkle, we're going to talk about this more, but the interesting wrinkle, sorry, I know my mic picks up everything. People have commented about how. Much they dislike the the clicking, and everything, um, but there's now a early signing period for football, so you don't have to wait till February anymore. I think it's February. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone will tell me I'm an idiot if I'm wrong. Um, but it starts December 20th. There's a 72 hour window that ends on the 22nd, and anybody is able to sign a letter of intent for the following year so they don't have to wait anymore.
1: You know, I think that will be... It'll be interesting to see how that Erling signing period plays out. Um, I guess in talking about basketball, it certainly helped us because for all of you living under a rock, Uh, We just signed the number three player in the country in basketball uh, and the number one highest rated athlete in any sport ever to come to Oregon. Because of that early signing period, um, I think football, it's going to be a little bit more complicated. And I actually think it could be a big benefit to group of five schools because those coaching staffs, whether it's right or not, um, they will be able to go to a kid who's maybe a late bloomer and say, "Listen, we have this is your offer. We're offering you a scholarship. Do you really want to wait another six weeks and take a chance that an Ohio State, uh, Penn State, uh, LSU, or whoever is going to offer you that late chance?" Or do you just want to sign with us right now because there's a chance that if they wait that you know, six weeks, um, maybe a higher-rated kid falls in a group of five school's lap, and all of a sudden that scholarship is not there anymore. So I don't know if I'm super comfortable with it, but I guarantee it's going to happen where those smart group of five head coaches are going to be putting pressure on kids and saying, this might be your only offer, and this is a real attractive one. So I would recommend signing on that dotted line. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the schools with more resources approach that early signing period, because the last thing you want to do is oversign, and then, you know, maybe all of a sudden a guy who's a four-star who was having trouble academically qualifying falls in your lap and you can't sign him. Um, So you're going to, if you're a power five school, especially a power five school with resources, you're going to have to be a little bit more judicial in how you sign those early kids. Um, But that's one of those areas, just like with any other rule change, there's going to be some coaching staff that figures out how to do it best. And that'll be a big plus for that program until everybody else gets on that train
0: yeah and I think one of the valuable I think one of the what that means for Oregon is basically there's 24 commits already a lot of really good ones and this would be a very valuable like like the bus is full this is kind of like a put up or shut up moment like if you're committed commit now otherwise your spot's open because you gave up your spot. You basically gave up your committed spot by not signing. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting. I'm, it's worth monitoring because there's a lot of different ways that it could go. My guess is that a lot of coaching staffs are going to want to lock in their guys. Yeah. Uh, But there are also going to be programs, um, Maybe not the complete blue bloods, but, you know, maybe like a a lower level power five school. Um, I could certainly see a a Washington state, if you have a, a head coach that's a little bit of a gambler, taking a chance on leaving some spots open and hoping that a highly rated guy doesn't sign early with another school and maybe his spot gets taken or you know, maybe he comes out of the woodwork and all of a sudden he signs with your program later. Um, we'll see. Should we move on to basketball? It seems Let's. like a segue, considering uh, we maybe just had the best week of recruiting in Oregon basketball history. Yep. Uh, so yep. since November 8th, we have signed two four-stars, two five-stars. Not only is the 2018 class of Oregon basketball the number one-rated recruiting class in the Pac-12, it is the number one-rated recruiting class in the country right now, um, which is subject to change because there are some still some really highly-rated guys who are deciding between like the normal ones, the Dukes, the Kansases, the Kentuckys. um But right now, our class for next year stands as Miles Norris, a 6'10 power forward who signed on November 8th. He was a four-star and in any other year would probably be considered our crown jewel of our recruiting class. Yeah,
0: and these guys have signed, which is why we're talking about them by name.
1: Exactly. Uh, Will Richardson, who signed on November 17th, just last week, he's out of Oak Hill Academy, Real famous school. That's where Carmelo Anthony went to high school. That's where Brandon Jennings went to high school. It's in Virginia. Um, he is a shooting guard, kind of like a shooting guard, point guard combo guy. Um, he's six four. He's a four-star. Um, he's the number 7th ranked shooting guard in the country. Then what was our crown jewel? A five-star out of New Jersey, Lewis King. He was a five-star, and he's a small forward at 6'8". Um, kind of similar, honestly, to the Troy Brown mold, where he's really comfortable having the ball in his hands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then the latest one, again, the most highly decorated, highly ranked student to come into to the university in any sport is the son of Manute Bull, seven one seven two, depending on what service you look at. Center who also happens to shoot threes and play on the perimeter, um, big things for Oregon basketball. Not just yeah. this, year, but next year, and it seems like going forward. Um, <laughs> I guess what what's your hot take on this one?
0: If this were an if this weren't an audio podcast, I think my my facial expression would be a much bigger indicator of how impressive this is uh I remember the days where six eight Marty Lewinnin was like the only guy over six four on the entire roster and he was playing center uh um, and now we have just some freak athletes coming in and you know shout out to all the bagmen out there really really making making the money work for us
1: please don't be listening to this f b i oh so i
0: have uh something i'd like to uh investigate uh, and it's just, it's just crazy to me. It's just crazy how good Altman has made this program. Um, how long so, has he been the head coach here? Five years?
1: Oh uh, yeah, that sounds about right off the top of my head.
0: It's just, it is crazy to me. Like, I mean, at some point he's going to be. I think it's maybe only like a couple more years until he's viewed as like the best coach in the country. Because think of all the all the success that he's had off of guys who have only been there like one year or two years and haven't been like the best players in the country out of high school.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people that know basketball certainly credit Coach Alman as being one of the best exes and O's coaches that there is. Um, but this is a whole nother dimension that the strength in recruiting is something that We have not historically seen, uh, at least out of high school, from Coach Altman and his staff. We saw that a little bit differently uh, with the latest class of guys that just graduated. Brooks signed with us out of high school. Jordan Bell signed with us out of high school. Tyler Dorsey did as well. Uh, But at least early in his tenure with Oregon, we had classes that were completely based on Juco transfers. Um, Jason Caliste off the top of my head was one. Uh, Olu Ashlu uh, was another. Um, you know, they, in a weird sense, Oregon fans got used to the one and done or two and done type college game, but it was different than at the, the Kentuckys and the Dukes where they get a high school kid and he goes right to the NBA. Uh, for us, it was more like, Oh, we got a Duke and he happens to have two years of eligibility left. Um, this is just another layer of success for coach Almond and his staff. And I did think it was really interesting reading Bull bowls um, article in the players tribune, which normally those, where am I going next articles are pretty cliche at this point. Um, but he, he, in that article, he talked about what made Oregon attractive to him. And it wasn't just the flashy uniforms and all the shoes and, and all that type of stuff. Although that he said that did play a role. It was also or the Oregon Athletic Department's use of social media and how they've carved out their own brand and their own niche in the college athletic space Um, I thought that that was super interesting and then also Coach Altman and Coach Stubblefield's attention to detail in putting together a plan of how they might incorporate Bull into the team um, by using game film of what Oregon does and what Bull did both in high school and for his AAU team um, I, I thought it was an interesting look behind the curtain of the recruiting process.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting.
1: I guess it's easier with
0: basketball than football. Um, but that's super interesting how they could diagram out exactly how they view him participating.
1: Well, so I think so helps. Um, not that they're the same player, but they certainly have similar characteristics it helps that just last year we did have a guy who was, what, seven one, seven two, who shot threes in Chris Boucher. Um, Is Chris Boucher really that tall? He was pretty tall. He was like 6'11", at least. Um, I mean, it, it, they're not the same player. 6'10". Still, a post player, really tall, really skinny. He's like- in the weight room like to play on the perimeter um, it. I'm sure that helped them being able to say listen we have a player that has certain characteristics of your game and this is how we incorporated him and this is how we might tweak the offense to incorporate you as well
0: yeah and uh, with the like, with the plan that you put out and everything, um, or with the plan that they put out, and Bull Bull going to be probably as good as advertised, he's going to be, like, the center of the offense anyways. So mm-hmm. it's probably even easier than to diagram out exactly what his role would be. Um, and now there was one player that was already projected to be one and done, um, but... Maybe he wants to stick around an extra year to play with Bulbul and the other class coming in. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so that would be Troy Brown. Um, There was a discussion about this in in today's Quack Fix. We're we're recording this on, what is it, Tuesday night? Tuesday, Um,
0: approaching 11 p.m.
1: Yeah, so we we were recording this on Tuesday night. There was a discussion about this in um, today's Quack Fix about whether Troy Brown would be a one-and-done, whether Bull Bol would be a one-and-done, and and kind of what that meant, and whether it was a good thing. Um, In my opinion, college athletics, uh, college basketball cannot determine what the NBA age limit is gonna be. Um, There's been a lot of talk about the NBA adjusting their age limit, where you currently have to be 19 to enter the NBA draft. Um, there's been a lot of talk of them adjusting that to the most popular one that I've heard has been to allow kids who come straight out of high school to enter the NBA draft. But if you go to college, you have to stay for at least two years, pretty similar to how, uh, baseball currently works. Um, And you
0: could get drafted before having to commit. Yeah. Like baseball lets you sign
1: agents. I personally like that plan um, for a couple reasons. One, I am of the opinion that if you have the talent, you should be able to get paid no matter what your age. Um, There is no other industry in which you're just capped by your age from making money and providing for yourself and your family. Maybe so,
0: Maybe president or judge.
1: Yeah, I guess. But if you're smart enough...
0: But those those jobs suck.
1: If you're smart enough at 12, you can go through law school and be a lawyer. I mean, awesome. I don't know if I would want a 12-year-old lawyer representing me, but that's neither here nor there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so that would be one reason why I'm in favor of that rule change. Number two, I think it will be ultimately better for the NBA product and the college basketball product. Um, The history of guys going straight from high school to the NBA, yes, there have been high-profile busts, but the vast majority of those names were transcendent talents that even if they didn't necessarily turn into stardom in the NBA, they were still able to carve out decent career um and make enough money where they're financially secure um one name off the top of my head is Kwame Brown I mean he came out straight out of high school and he was largely considered a complete bust but he still was in the NBA for what five six years at least Uh Uh, I mean really the key in the NBA is getting drafted starting your rookie pay scale I mean you're going to get a lot of money off the top Um, right now in the 2019 NBA draft is projected as a number four guy Um, at that point on the current rookie pay scale you're getting just under $4 million in your first year alone but that's not really the key the key is to start your rookie contract so you can get out of your rookie contract and sign your first big deal Um, so that's how it's good For the player on the NBA side, on the college basketball side, if the NBA decides to switch that um, age limit and institute a rule where if you go to college, you have to stay for at least two years, then that helps fans feel more connected to the team. It helps team chemistry. It helps um, the guys that do go to college actually maybe focus on college instead of spending four months in school not really going to class and just treating it as a warm-up for the NBA. Um, in terms of whether Troy Brown or Bulbo are going to be one-and-dones, who knows? I think if they have the chance to go in the lottery, whatever decision they want to make for them is right. Um, if they want to take the money, great. If they want to stay and have a chance to win a national championship, great. Um but I think it's important as fans to give someone the freedom to make the decision that they feel is right for them.
0: Uh-huh. Who have been a couple of the players that have really stood out to you so far this year?
1: Um so there's been a couple games in the last week. Um And I like the way that this schedule has gone non-conference wise because we've been consistently ramping up in um, talent of the opposing team. Uh, Most recently was that game against Ball State, which was actually pretty close early in the first half until we pulled away in the second. Um, Peyton Pritchard has impressed me, especially recently. Um, He last year, he was really just a distributor. This year, he still has one of the tightest handles in the country, in my opinion. Um, But he's also lately been showing off uh, that he can take on more of a scoring role, and he's been showing off an increased range on his shot. Um, He had one shot against Ball State, and it was after a foul had occurred, so it didn't really count, but it was like a a good 30-foot, 28 foot shot Um, if Pritchard can stretch the floor like that that will be really big for us Um, Troy Brown has been impressive in his ability to handle the offense he's been inconsistent in taking care of the ball but really more than any one player sticking out to me has been just the massive depth of our team Um, we can roll out a good solid eight guys who may not be ready right now because of their youth but in terms of athleticism and talent by the end of the year with Coach Altman doing the coaching that he always does, we're going to be a very, very solid team that can just throw waves of players at you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's one it's like during the offseason season. I was like, all right, I trust Altman to put a good team together. And right, right now it's kind of like, all right, things are looking good now. There's some rough spots, but I trust Altman to have these guys you know, ready to ready to go by uh, by the time conference play rolls around.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think um, the PK-80 tournament that's coming up will be interesting. When uh, is that? So it's this coming week. Um, I have the schedule in front of me. So... On Thursday, the 23rd, so Thanksgiving, um, we play against UConn. Then Friday, um, we would play against either DePaul or Michigan State, um, and probably Michigan State, considering they're, I think, the number two ranked team in the country. Uh, But their best player did just get an ankle injury, so who knows? Weird things could happen there. And then the final game of the PK-80 tournament would be on Sunday the 26th. Um, So I think those games will be interesting to see how the youth deals with a level of competition that's ratcheted up even further. Um, The areas that I've seen us be deficient thus far have been our talk and our rotations on D. Um, Sometimes they've been locked in but it's just been inconsistent. Um, and so far our rebounding has been strong because we've been really gang rebounding with at least one of our guards going back, uh, on the defensive side to, to help out on the rebound. But later in the year when we're going up against teams that have a bigger post presence or a more athletic post presence, um, I think we'll really need to rely on guys like Kenny Wooten, on guys like Paul White um, to step up and get those big rebounds that in the past a guy like Elgin Cook or Jordan Bell would have gotten. Um, because as athletic as we are, as good shooting as we can be, uh, it doesn't really matter if you can't get the ball.
0: It's very true. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with all that. It's very early on still, um, so yeah. I mean, I don't have the quite the sophisticated eye that you do when it comes to basketball, so I'll just side it with you.
1: Cool, great, really,
0: great, great, great back and forth. Um. <laughs> uh, any final notes that we wanted to touch on?
1: So. You know, my only really final notes are just to enjoy college football as the season winds down Um, because, yes, we're not in the hunt for a national championship, but this is still a very fun time of year. Um, There are a couple matchups that I'm really excited about. On Friday, uh, South Florida versus UCF at one thirty well it's one thirty Central so twelve thirty Pacific time um will be a very fun matchup to watch. Miami also plays that day against Pittsburgh earlier in the in the day um which Pittsburgh has tripped up uh future national champions in the past such as last year um uh, so that could be interesting um I don't know Saturday just enjoy college football I mean There's Ohio State-Michigan, and in reality, that'll probably be a bloodbath. There's the Iron Bowl of Alabama versus Auburn. There's the Civil War. Um, It's just going to be a fun weekend. I hope everybody has a good time. Get a few days off work. Get a few bourbons in you. Take off your pants and enjoy yourself.
0: All caps, no pants, straight whiskey.
1: Roll ducks, y'all.
0: That's how addicted to quack does it. So, no pants, all caps, mm-hmm. straight whiskey. Strongly encouraged. All right, that'll do it for us here at Sling and Quack. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week after the Civil War game and the PK 80, which will be a really exciting event. Talk to you guys then.